Um, and I must say that each time I have to talk about forgiveness, the Lord does another work again in my heart, and he begins to reveal, to heal. And um, it's not easy, but forgiveness is an area that I can say I've really grown in over the past several years of my life. Um, and I can say, like, before that point in time, I've been a believer since I was a young girl, and I really believed that what forgiveness looked like was the, and really this is such a myth, but it was forgive and forget. And that's what I thought I had to do. So I just, immediately something happens, I just forgive it, forget it, and move on. Um, it didn't work very well at all. In fact, it didn't really work at all. And um, so what I was left with was a lot of just wounds and pain and, you know, not knowing even how to move past this. So what I'm going to talk to you about um, today is what this has looked like. And one of the things that I love about our community is that I feel like we're in a community that's very authentic. And um, I can only take people as far as I've gone myself and to places that I've gone myself. And so I hope today that you can open your heart and allow the Father to soften your heart. Um, I can honestly say that learning the process of forgiveness is one of the hardest things that you will ever walk through, but one of the most rewarding as well. Um, and I want to start with just an analogy for you guys and an analogy of an artery that's blocked. I know some of you have dealt with things like that um, over the years. And um, it's interesting when you look at a blocked artery is that it decreases your ability to do things, things like walking, um, you know, maybe running at first, but even walking then, um, till it gets so bad that you're at the place that it can kill you. Um, if they find a blockage, they'll need to put in, do an operation, and they do something where they put a stent in, and they clear that blockage. Um, a good friend of ours a couple years ago had this done, and when I saw him for the first time after it, I was asking him how he was doing, and he said that he could not believe how good he felt. And um, he said this was because he had no idea how bad things had gotten, um, because it was just slowly, and he got used to it. And he thought that that was normal. Um, and so sometimes in our lives, there's blockages that need removed for us to love others well and to walk in freedom. And we need our great physician to come into our hearts and allow him to clear these kinds of blockages. Uh, we may be so used to feeling this way that we are not even aware of what we've let build up over time. And this may be you today. Maybe you've put up some walls to your emotions and feelings in some of the areas of unforgiveness. And the enemy has just numbed you in these areas so you don't have any idea what it feels like at all to walk in freedom. So I pray today that we can begin to recognize and deal with the blockages. Jesus' finished work on the cross was not there just to bring us salvation. It was there to bring us healing and freedom as well. And John 10.10 says that I have come that they might have life and life abundantly. Do you want this today? Um, if we allow him, the Father can change our hearts, but we have to allow him to do this. And going back to my analogy of the, the artery, if you have a blockage and you don't give the physician permission to operate on you, there, do you think about it? Have you ever had to get surgery? How many documents do you have to sign? Yes, yes, yes. You don't even read them. Um, but if you don't sign that document, if you don't give permission to that physician, they're not going to operate. Even if they know that you could die or will die if this doesn't happen, there's nothing that they can do. And that's the same thing with our Heavenly Father. We have to give him permission to work on our hearts. Um, 
So we're going to read our passage for the day. Um, a mentor of mine would always say this. I loved it. Um, she would always say, strap on your sandals and get into the story. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to strap on our sandals. We're going to get into this. Um, so if you guys, um, in your, um, your, in front of you, in the pews, there are these handouts that I have. I always like to give handy little handouts for you guys. Um, so if you guys can grab your handouts, you can, you'll see things on the screen, but you can also read it on here, and I think it's helpful. So in honor of God's word, if you guys would just stand with me, and we're going to read through this passage in 1 Samuel, Samuel about the life of Hannah. Um, there was a certain man whose name was Elkinah. He had two wives. One was called Hannah. The other was called Penina. Um, and Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. Whenever the day came for Elkino to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her children and their sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkina, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty... If you will only look on your servant's misery and remember, mem, remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine." Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Let's pray before we dig in. Father, I just ask that you would soften our hearts today. Allow us to hear your heart and your words. We give you permission to work in our lives. We ask that you begin a work of freedom and taking back the ground that the enemy has taken in our hearts and lives through unforgiveness. Meet us here where we are today. In your name, amen. You can be seated. As we look at forgiveness today, um, we'll look at some steps that we can take to walk in freedom. And you can see I put the steps on your handout. Um, and then we're also going to look at the story of Hannah and kind of weave her life story and what we find in this, these 19 verses um, into this. But some questions I have is, what do you do when people or situations have deeply hurt you? What if they won't repent? What if they won't own it? What if you've been hurting yourself? The answer is as plain in scripture as it is uncomfortable. You forgive. We first need the Lord, to, we need to ask the Lord to reveal to us what situ, situations we need to forgive. There's oftentimes um, 
that this may come easy to mind. There's something that just immediately as I'm talking, there's something coming to mind. There may be times, though, um, that it's something that's really been repressed that you've just you know, like held back for a really long time. Um, and so we need to ask the Lord to reveal those things to us. So the first step, and I have it on your handout, is we choose to forgive. This may be a person. It may be a situation. It may be God. It may be ourselves, um, you know, for our, with ourselves. It may be unconfessed sin. It may be habitual habits. Um, sin can eat away at us mentally, physically, spiritually. Um, it just can wreak havoc on our lives. Um, and here's what the Bible says when we look at forgiveness in Matthew 6, 14, and 15. It says, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So you can see here that we need to forgive. But how do we do this? You know, what do we do to be able to do this? Um, I think it's important to recognize here that forgiveness is a choice that we make. A definition um, that I've kind of used for forgiveness in this is it's a decision to release someone or something or ourselves from our debt. So it's a decision that we make to release someone from our debt. Um, we don't need somebody else to own their part. We don't need them to say they're sorry. We can forgive them unilaterally. So this is a one-way transaction. And honestly, this is a gift to us that we can do it um, like this because if it depended on somebody else's um, repentance before we offered um, forgiveness to them, we would always be bound by somebody else's will, right? You know, if they don't choose this, there's no way that we can, um, that we can do this then. So it's unilateral. We make the choice. We must be willing to forgive those who has, have hurt us. We can forgive even if someone is unrepentant if they're no longer a part of our lives, or even if they've passed away. And it's important to recognize, like I said, that we're not bound to them when we you know, can do this transaction one way. So let's look at this in the life of Hannah. And I really want you to think about what this would have looked like for Hannah. Um, we can easily just read a passage in the Bible. And I know some of you like, kind of laughed at some parts in that story. It's kind of funny parts of it, right? I mean, you look at like what is going on here, and we're going to dig into some of those details. But it's easy to gloss over when we read Scripture. But when we get into the story, we can really pick up some truths that God wants to have us um, wrestle with, I think, more so. And so what I want us to look at is the emotion in the story. And I want us to look at the pain that Hannah would have been going through. So I have on your handout the question, who are some people that Hannah would have had to forgive? The most obvious one is Penina. Um, and so you look at this passage here. If we go back to verses 5 through 7, it says, But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year, whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Catch this year after year. This is not a once and done thing. This didn't happen one time. This is like this ongoing thing that just keeps happening and happening. And I, if I had to venture to guess, I doubt it just happened when they went up to the temple. I'm thinking this was probably an everyday or weekly occurrence as they um, did life together. And so, um, you know, think about that. A second, you know, category I have is, what about Penina's children? Um, we have to be careful about our prejudices 
and, um, and things that we hold against people because our kids are listening, our kids are watching. If I use my imagination in this story, I kind of would guess that her children may have mocked her too because if they saw mom doing this and this is a regular thing, they may have been you know, just as much of instigating um, in Hannah's life. What about the townspeople? You know, think about this. Back in this, this culture in this time, if you were a woman and you couldn't get pregnant, um, oftentimes they thought you sinned or that there was something wrong with you and why that happened. So I'm guessing there probably was a judgmental tone against the people you know, around. Um, what about Okina, her husband? You know, I have in um, verse 8, her husband Okina would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't, um, why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? No. <laughs> you think about like at times where it's like people try to say nice things and pull you out of it. I think about Michael, you know, oftentimes tries to do that or meaningful people in my life. Sometimes it just doesn't help. That's not what she wants to hear right now. That is not comforting to her, I'm sure. Um, and then, you know, another person I have is Eli. And if we look, this is verses um, 12 and then 15, we kind of jump down. And it says here, as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart. Her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk. And he said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who's deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great grief and anguish. So imagine, this is her priest, you know, who she's dealing with here. So imagine you're having a really, really rough time and you come to here to church and you decide to come up to the altar and pour your heart out to the Lord. And Joel comes walking in and he says to you, are you drunk? What are you doing? You know, I mean, I would guess that might be a little wounding in some of your deep pain and anguish. It may be hard to take. Um, and lastly, another um, person I think of is, is God. She would have known that God was the God of miracles, but he's not answering her prayer. She would have known about Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and that God answered their prayers and gave them a child. But yet year after year after year, she's going and she's getting tortured by these other people and her prayers aren't getting answered. We all have situations in our lives that are difficult. They may have happened recently. Um, or like Hannah, they may be multiple situations that have been hurting us for years and years. Um, and so we do, we have to dig into what this looks like. And I think for me, as I walk through this, um, this is a, the key point I have here is that there's a difference between forgiveness and between trust and reconciliation. And um, Isaac, you can switch to the next one on there. He didn't know what was coming. So, <laughs> um, But if you look at the difference between these two, I want you to really hear this point because, honestly, this was one of the things. I just I did not understand this at all, and I really couldn't grasp this until so much more recently in my life. But there's a difference between the two. Forgiveness is a gift that's granted by the offended party. It's never deserved or earned. Trust, however, is earned. And trust is earned when the offender repents and turns away from their sin. While forgiveness, as I said, is unilateral, reconciliation is bilateral. It takes two. For reconciliation to take place, I have to own my part. You have to own your part. We both repent. We both forgive. Um, and even in a situation, do you ever have a situation where it's like you think the other person is like 90% wrong, but you know you're not perfect. So I'm like, I'm maybe 10% wrong, okay? Even in that situation, you have to own 100% of your 
and they have to earn their, your part, their part, and that's what it looks like when we come together. So in the example of Hannah and Peninnah, um, Hannah can forgive her, and she can release her, and she can find freedom. Um, but unless they come together, they can't reconcile and trust. Does that make sense? So maybe it looks like this, if reconciliation were to happen. Hannah says, I'm sorry because I was so angry with you. I was jealous of all your children. Um, and Penina says, I'm really sorry for how I treated you. I hated that Alkina loves you more and that he treated you better. All I ever wanted was his true affection. And so I know I treated you poorly and I'm sorry. If this is how it played out, now we can have a reconciled relationship that happens. We desire this in our lives, but in reality, it's a miracle that only God can do when he works on two people's lives and restores the relationship. We long for this. We pray for this, but often it's walking in forgiveness and not reconciliation for years or even a lifetime. And I think that's important. I have a quote on here um, from Henry Cloud and John Townsend from the book Boundaries, and it says, nothing clarifies boundaries more than forgiveness. To forgive someone means to let them off the hook, to cancel the debt that they owe. When you refuse to forgive someone, you still want something from that person. And even if it's revenge that you want, it keeps you tied to them forever. So keep that in mind. This is not a choice. This is a choice um, that we have to make, but it's not an option. You know, the Bible is clear that this is what we have to do um, to be able to do this. So step two then says, um, grieve what's been lost and pour out your heart to the Lord. Um, and I, I've mentioned this before in different times that I've talked, but the Psalms are a great example of this, and I've shared this because it impacted me so much. But um, Tim Keller wrote a book on the Psalms, and one of the things that he talks about is um, in the Psalms is that they do a really good job of being raw and real and honest. And honestly, for much of my Christian life, I, I thought I just had to like pretend and act like everything was fine. Um, I really couldn't understand that. And so what Tim and his wife, Kathy, as they wrote the book, they said that in the, the Psalms, when they grieve, they're like, you know, raw and real and just crying out and like, Lord, I hate this person. I hate this situation. I'm so mad. But then all the Psalms, except for one of them, come to this side of it where they say, but I trust you. But we in our Western culture take a step back and we oftentimes stay in the place of we just pretend everything's fine. We don't grieve at all. We just move on. And then on this side, it's like, God, why'd you let this happen to me? So I really believe that God wants us to get real with our emotions, go to the places um, that we need to, to really be able to process. And let's look at what happened with Hannah when she learned to grieve. And we're going to look at verses 10 and 11 and 15 and 16. Um, and it says in that, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord. She wept bitterly. She made a vow. She said, Lord Almighty, if only you will look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son. 15, I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I'm pouring out my soul to the Lord. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Grieving and naming what is lost makes a lot of sense. Um, when it's a death, we know what we've lost. You know, it's kind of easy to grieve that and that we can name it. But what does it look like grieving um, in the area of forgiveness and hurts and pain? It can be harder to name what's lost, but we have to go to this place. I never knew that this was something I had to do. And that was why I was so stuck for so long, because I never really processed. Like I said, I was just forgive, forget. 
Um, you know, what was lost? Is it, it was in marriage. Some of these are bigger things. You know, a friendship. It was a, a child, a, you know, a kid. Um, your reputation. Was it money that was lost? Was it your time? You spent so much time worrying about this and it took up so many of your thoughts. That's something to grieve. Like, I've wasted half my life dealing with this that I don't know how to get through. Um, what about sleep? How many of us, when we are in a situation that is really hurting us, how many of us can't sleep? Like, we can actually grieve to the Lord. Like, Lord, I am so frustrated because I can't even sleep. You know, I'm, I don't even know what to do with this. But we have to grieve, and it's not a once-and-done process. And for me, um, several years ago, in dealing with um, some tough situations, I felt like I'd forgiven, I've moved on. And this, was, this wasn't the forgive and forget. This is where I was actually, like, working through the process a little bit more in my life. Um, but then I felt like something would bring this back up. Do you ever have that where you feel like, and then something reminds you of this or something happens that now like brings it up again? And um, I can remember it like there was something that had happened and it just, it like reopened, you know, something again. And I was like, I was so angry that I was dealing with this again. And I was so angry at myself for being upset about this. I'm like, I'm done with this. I've let this go. And I'm like, why am I in such this place? And um, so I, I do what I do as I know like where to go to grieve is that I went for a run and I put worship music on and that's where like I, I hear from the Lord good in that place. And so I was crying out to the Lord. I can remember this specifically, but I came back, I got to our house and I sat on the step outside the house all by myself and immediately the Lord gave me um, this picture and he gave me a picture of a gaping wound. And this was not like a little cut. This was like a big gaping wound, like right on somebody's leg. And have you ever seen like one of those really disgusting wounds that they have to go to the wound doctor and like heal from the inside out? That was the picture that God gave me. And what he showed me was that I like in this place, I was trying to put a bandaid like right in the middle of it. I mean, how ridiculous is that? Of course, it's not going to do anything. Um, and when it's that kind of a big gaping wound, what has to happen with, you know, in the medical field is that they have to, you know, put special healing bombs in that it has to heal from the inside out. It has to be wrapped up. And that has to keep, like in the beginning, that has to get changed like every day. And it's a, you know, it gets ripped, you know, off. They change it, put the fresh on, and then again and again. And then as it starts to heal, it gets you know, smaller and smaller, and you can go longer without it, and then, um, and then it comes to that place. And so I felt like God was saying to me that I need to bring these wounds to him and allow him to put his healing balm on those wounds and bandage it up. And then after the wound heals, that area is more sensitive, and it can easily get torn back open, right? So instead of putting on a Band-Aid, God was saying, even anytime, even if it's a hundred times, I want you to bring it back to me. I'm going to bandage it up. I'm going to put my healing balm on it. It's probably not going to be quite as big and gaping as it was the first time, right? You feel like you've gotten a little bit further down the line, um, but you can't do it on your own. Bring it back to me. I'm going to help you through this. And then he showed me at the end, which was a beautiful picture, that there would be a scar left there. And he said that that's okay because it's a reminder of my love and my care for you. This is the key, is that the enemy will try to find ways to reopen that wound. And you have to keep bringing it back to him. And it's okay. And he will do the work that only he can do. The third thing uh, we look at is worship. 
And Hannah, Hannah models what it looks like to worship in the midst of pain. She said in verses 18 and 19, May my servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord, and then went back to their home in Ramah. At this time, I want you to catch this in the part of the story. Hannah's situation did not change at all, right? Penina's still there. All her kids are there. Elkinah still doesn't understand why he's not enough for her. Hannah's still not pregnant, but her heart, her attitude, and even her physical ailments she can now eat um, have changed. God has taught me to worship in the pain. He gives me oftentimes a specific song that is like for that season. My family probably gets so sick because it's like it's on repeat like constantly during that time. Um, and I, I pray that um, oftentimes that God would come into my Pandora mixes um, that I put on because it's this random mix. And I'm like, God, just give me the song that I need to hear right now. And he shows up and does it. And it's just a beautiful picture. So worship is key. Number four is to recognize the wounds of others and the work of the enemy. Think of the wounds that Penina carries. You know, we're going to look at, um, in verse 2, it says, He had two wives, one called Hannah, the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. First of all, bad idea to have multiple wives. That would not go over well. And I can tell you, in our house, if I had to compete with another woman, <laughs> there would not, it would not be pretty. Um, and then in verse 3, it says, Year after year, this man went up to his town. He worshipped to sacrifice where um, the sons of Eli were there as priests. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, listen, catch this part. He would give portions of meat to Penina and all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord closed her wound. Because the Lord closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. All Penina wants, like, I feel bad for this woman. Like, she can be the bad guy. If we just skim through this passage, it's like, what's she doing? She's so mean. You know, but here, look at her wounds. You know, what's her issue? She wants a kind of to love her as much as he loves Hannah. She's bitter. She's angry. She takes it out on Hannah. I love this line. Michael and I say this all the time. The presenting problem isn't often the actual problem. That is a good line to tuck away. Do you ever have it where, like, the person you're going through the checkout line at Walmart, <laughs> they're, like, super mean to you? And I'm like, what I do? You know, it's like the presenting problem's not the actual problem. There's something else that went on. I just said it to Grant. He had a situation at school. I'm like, the presenting problem's probably not the actual problem. Um, the enemy often also, if we look at, so we look at their wounds and then the enemy. The enemy is often going after our identity. Think about Hannah, her feeling inadequate as a wife because she couldn't give Elkina children. That was like the thing in that day. If you couldn't give your husband children, like, I mean, she felt like she had nothing to offer. Um, it's, you know, when you look at the situations, um, you know, on there, the enemy comes after our, our identity, um, and he comes after, what's he trying to take from your identity? Um, he looks to kill hope, steal confidence, and destroy your identity. He wants you, I want you to hear this, the enemy wants you to disbelieve your value. He works with these three things, shame, doubt, and insecurity, um, he makes you think things like, I'm not good enough. If I was smarter, if I looked better, if I had money, in Hannah's case, if I had children, in Penina's case, if I had his love. You know, all of these things, it's identity issues that the enemy is going after. And if we look back at the verse I mentioned before, it's John 10.10, 10, and it says, the thief comes 
only to steal, kill, and destroy. But then on the flip side, Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and life in the full. Trust me, no one knows our weaknesses better than Satan. The fifth thing we have to do is we have to pray for people or situations. And this comes from the passage in Matthew, and I have this on your handout. And it says, um, Jesus said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. When we love and pray for our enemies, we are marked by the Father's love. Loving our enemies is the single greatest indicator that we have been infected by divine love because we cannot do it on our own, right? It is the mark of the Father on on our lives. Um, What does this also look like, you think about, as we're, you know, so we're called to pray for our enemies, these people against us, but what if it's yourself? You know, what if it is, like, you can't forgive yourself, like, you're dealing with the same issues, the same sins, you're frustrated, you know, and you just can't seem to forgive yourself, and I I got permission to share this, but... um, there was a woman who I prayed for um, a couple weeks ago. She's not from our community, um, but she's a leader. She's a leader, and she humbled herself to ask for prayer. And she was asking for prayer for um, completely different things. So we're, you know, another woman and I are praying over her, and um, she was struggling, um, you know, like I said, with various things. And so I felt led to just ask her to pray and ask Jesus to come into a memory. Um, for her. And immediately she had this picture that came to her mind of Jesus at the end of her bed. And, um, and she started weeping in that moment. And she confessed um, that she's been reading things that she shouldn't be reading and um, that she often did it when she was in her bed. And this wasn't at all what she was asking for prayer for. Um, but she said that Jesus was, was um, looking at her. The picture on his face was love and he wasn't angry with her. And um, I shared the verse. It's funny, Michael actually shared this when he prayed um, today, but I shared the verse with her in that moment that his, his kindness that leads us to repentance. And um, we asked if she would be willing in that moment to take the books in her mind and just throw them into a fire. And so she was doing that, and then she, she stopped, and she looked at us, and she said, I feel like I need to do something with my phone. And she immediately opened up her phone, and she went to an app, and she deleted the app on her phone. And it was an app for books that she had some of these books on it. And um, she felt like God was telling her to do that. And I just want to say to you, this is the power of prayer. Like, this is the power. We pray for others, and we pray for ourselves, and God's going to take us to places that he can heal. But as I said before, he reveals to heal right? Not to shame, not to contemn. It's to lead us to forgiveness um, and freedom. And so step number six, I know some people have told me they're going to walk out when I start on this one. (laughs) So if you need to go, I'm telling you, this is, this is the key to walking in for in freedom. And this is by far the hardest step that I've found. And so I want to share with you, um, there's a pastor by the name of Rob Raymer. And, um, I came across an article on forgiveness. This is back years and years ago, and I had no idea who this guy was. Now I've actually, you know, heard him speak, and I've, you know, read some of his books. But at this point, I just, there was an Alliance Life magazine sitting on my, uh, in our living room, and I'm flipping through it, and he had an article about forgiveness. And 
I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that I have read that article a hundred times. I just kept, I, I could not get free. And so I just kept like reading this and letting the Lord filter my heart. And I just want to share with you some of what, um, what he said. He shared a story in the article of him becoming a pastor of a new church. And when he um, became the pastor of the new church, there was a man in his congregation that was spreading lies about him to everyone. And even like his like bosses, like people in the district, he just kept making up these lies. And this is what he says. He says, I've discovered that blessing those who curse me is a great aid in the process of forgiving my enemies. I used to mistakenly think that blessing those who curse us was a nice way of saying, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. But God wanted me to learn a deeper truth. The man continued to speak ill of me, and I was angry. One day, while I was alone with God, I heard the Spirit whisper to me, and I want you to keep that in mind, while I'm alone with God. Think about the vision that God gave me of the wounds. I'm alone with God. You're going to find your most healing in the places alone with God or in an intimate um, you know, prayer setting or walking through this, but you need to be in a place of being able to hear from the Lord. And he says, I heard the Spirit whisper to me, and this is the passage, Luke 6, 27 and 28 is on your handout. Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. He said, surely you didn't mean this stuff, he protested. But of course God did. Immediately he thought of Jesus on the cross praying, God forgive them. And he said, Lord, I much prefer the Psalms where David prays the God go get them prayers. Can we pray some of those right now? How many of you have felt like that in your situations? Um, but I sensed the Spirit urging me to pray, pray blessing. After wrestling with God, I love that. Don't you, do you have to wrestle with God sometimes? I do. Like, I know what he wants me to do, and I'm like, nope, not going to do that yet. <laughs> um, so he wrestled with God, and then he says, while I surrendered, the Lord said, um, I said, Lord, I will pray blessings, but you need to know I don't mean a word of it. I'm willing for you to change me, and I will pray blessing for your sake, not his sake. I can't change how I feel, but I can obey, and I will. Guys, there is a lot in there that is super true, because I'm telling you, when you do this, you will not feel it. It will not be there in the immediate. And so he goes on to say, I prayed out of obedience, and my prayer sounded a bit like this. This is good to hear. God, I pray that you would bless this person. I don't know how, but I pray you would. I pray their family would even like him, if that's possible. And I pray that his kids won't turn out to be like him. That's a real honest prayer, right? But over time, he said, the tone of his prayers began to change. And he began to pray that God really would bless him. He said, I pray good things I wanted in my life for him and his family. I admit my feelings weren't in it, but I prayed blessings on them every day, day in and day out. And over time, my prayers became heartfelt. I could feel the love of the Father welling up in my heart for this man. It was a miracle. My heart had changed. And I have this on your handout, this quote um, that I wrote down. If you want to push back the power of the enemy, this is single-handedly the best way to do that. The enemy does not know what to do when we really begin to pray blessing over those who have deeply wounded us. So in wrapping up this morning, I'd like to take a few minutes um, to let the Lord just personalize this for us. I just, I want you guys to be able to really 
I know that this is something that we all struggle with, and so I really want um, you guys to be able to not just hear this and move on, but to really do something that God's leaning you to today. I know it's super easy to hear this and be stirred, and then as soon as the dismissal's over, you run out the door, you're grabbing lunch, your kids are grabbing you, and all of a sudden, the enemy allows you to be numbed again. And so I really feel like the Lord is... Um, is just, you know, kind of leaning us to another, um, another way of doing this. So what I want you guys to do right now is I want you guys to just stand with me. Um, and I want you guys to hold out your hands like this. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to ask yourself some of these questions. Is there anything that's blocking me from experiencing the abundant and free life the Lord has intended for me? Is there anyone that I need to forgive? Or is there anything that I need to confess? Holy Spirit, we ask that you would bring up names, faces, events that have hurt our people. Allow the Holy Spirit to remind them of their sin and receive your forgiveness. I want you to pick one of these that God is just bringing to the front of your mind. And I want you in your heart to say, Father, I forgive them, or Father, I forgive myself. you to ask God to show you some things that you lost from the situation. I want you to name them in your mind, and I want you to grieve for a minute, and I want you to allow God to heal in this moment. I want you to pray for that person. Remember, you might not feel it, but you're choosing to obey. Now I want you to pray blessing over that person. This looks like praying the good you want for your own life and your family in their life. Remember that nothing pushes back the enemy more than this. You may not feel it, but you're choosing to do it.
Father, we thank you for beginning the healing process of forgiveness today. You who began a good work are faithful, and you will complete it. We give this process to you in your loving hands. Amen. Family, remember that this is not a once-and-done process. You have steps that can help lead you through, and you can work through these. Um, But I believe that God just uses these as a picture or model to help us walk in some freedom. But something's going to happen, and that wound is going to get reopened again. And you're going to start back over at the beginning. Or God's going to take you to grieving. Or he's going to take you to worship. Whatever that looks like, I would just encourage you guys to keep going after the Lord. I just want to end with this one quote. It says, If you will obey God and do what you can do, he will do what you cannot do. He will change your heart. Amen.